Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Danae and I were having a conversation uh, that started to get heated not like mad <laughs> heated, but like heated as we were going into a topic. And I put my finger up passionate in her face online. And I said, wait, and she was like, what did I do? And I just hit record <laughs> because the point of the episode today was really to answer some of the questions that we, you know, we get written in sometimes on social media, our email address. So if you, if you haven't utilized that yet as, as a way to potentially have Danae and I talk about a specific topic or question, you know, you should shoot us an email. It's cheaper than therapy, the pod at Gmail. Um, and so I was going through some of the questions and the question that Danae and I kind of jumped in on was what to do if my partner no longer finds me attractive. And my initial kind of activation around it was just in general, I feel like socially, culturally, we put so much fucking pressure on what a marriage, quote unquote, should be. And I think that includes like I'm supposed to be attracted to this one human for the rest of my life. And by the way, if you get married in your 20s, that's a really fucking long time. <laughs> okay, let's be real. Even in your 30s, that's a really fucking long time, assuming we live until like 70, 80 years old. And I just don't think it's realistic, you know? And I have a very different view on this than a lot of people do. I've had a lot of back and forth with people because I, I just, I, I don't really play into jealousy and I don't know, maybe it is because I'm a little bit more avoidant in, in my attachment or I can compartmentalize really well, but I, I just have always struggled with this concept of, um, what monogamy has come to mean, what marriage has come to mean when I look back and I research from a sociology perspective or from a biology perspective, what human beings are kind of, like how we're wired to interact sexually, um, and also what marriage used to be, right? So this construct of like marrying two families together, you know, land, land agreements, like bringing together two components of, of land ownership, right? Um, and how it's turned into this kind of romantic ideal. And so that was like my tangent, and, and I could go on and on about that forever, but and I, I, I appreciate now kind of this new generation and how this new generation is really pushing us even in like gender, right? Like this idea of gender fluidity and, um, you know, open relationships, you know, all these different things. Because I, I, I think that we are pushing against what society has told us we have to do. And I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think there's so many levels to this, right? Like I, I think one thing that we are in agreement with, with and agreement about <laughs> <laughs> Not with. Um, one thing we're in agreement about, and I think that we often talk about, is the idea that our grandparents' grandparents' models of partnership and marriage is just not going to be continuously viable in the future, right? There's just too many options for instant gratification, too much that we feel like we are seeking out of this lifetime that um, it just becomes really difficult to think that, and this is you know, a big part of the conversation that I feel like 
is interesting to me for us to get into, um, but that we feel like we should get all of our, quote, needs met from one person um, is a little bit challenging and a little bit like I don't know that I come at it as much from the idea that, you know, monogamy is like unnatural or that like we can't be monogamous beings if that's our choice. And I think everybody has to sort of like look within their soul and really get clear on like what is what I desire for myself in terms of a partnership in this lifetime. But I do think across the board, what I see with people is the idea that one person should be all that I need in terms of what we have expected a marriage or a partnership to be is just not reasonable. We expect our partners to be our best friends, our confidants, our lovers, our spiritual guides, our, you know, like all of the things that we used to get from an entire village of people, we now expect one person to do. And it's too much, you know. Um, I think we often live little in these little boxes of our nuclear families where we like you know don't air your dirty laundry don't don't talk about what's happening behind closed doors like how often do you hear about like our best friends were getting a divorce and we thought they had the quote perfect marriage and it's like well that's actually not a very collectivist way of holding life and community and partnership and i think that's a problem i think it is a problem that we expect that like we can just get all of our needs met from one person or that this person should be the entirety of my community and that that's not going to create some issues. You know what I mean? So you were over this last weekend with the kiddo and we were in the pool and I was telling you about how I was working out with my therapist, um, like a social situation that I had had with my partner, right? And how I am the kind of very outgoing one. Um, I am very extroverted. I like need social time. It's very important for me. Um, and I'm also a talker and I, you know, I really enjoy like being in a kind of boisterous conversation and telling stories and all of these things. And my partner is not. Now he can be when he feels comfortable, right, with the people he's with, but he tends to be more introverted. He doesn't really crave social time the way that I do. Um, he's more of a kind of a listener observer than a talker. And I'm aware that because my energy is very big in a social situation, I also think that maybe, and I don't know that he's actually articulated this, but I, I sense that maybe he feels a little bit like he can't get a word in edgewise, which is fair because I know that that's the case with me. <laughs> um, but there was a realization around like, I'm actually not, now that COVID, I mean, whatever, we're in a whole full new swing again, but like things are opening up and stuff and I'm able to see people again. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm actually going to increase the amount of time I'm spending socially because it's really important to me. And I'm not going to expect him to come all the time because if he's not enjoying himself um, or if I'm somehow feeling maybe judged or like I need to quote unquote take care of him, right? Which I know is not true, but it's kind of the sensation that I get. Um, that doesn't mean that I have to stay home. It just means that like, I'm going to do this on my own because that's when I get the, the kind of cup gets filled. Right. And I, I think even in that example, it, it, it kind of pertains to what you're saying, which is I don't, it, it kind of hurts. I mean, sure. Like I wish my partner would partake in that with me and laugh and have fun with me and kind of be in that energy with me, share in that energy with me, but I don't need him to in order to be fulfilled in my relationship. Does that make sense? It does. And I want us to dig deeper in the the why it hurts you or why it feels like this is a desire that I have if it's not an authentic desire from my partner, right? If my partner doesn't have an authentic desire within him to be there with me, to be in that jovial spirit that you're talking about, why does that feel hurtful? 
it's not that it feels hurtful as if it's an attack on me. It, it feels hurtful, I guess, only in the sense of like, like it sucks. Like you want your partner to share in happy experiences with you. And if that's my happy, I mean, of course it's going to be like, ah, oh, whatever, bummer. I'm not saying it's like, it's hurtful as in it's some kind of fight. It's just like, it is going to be a little bit of a bummer when you want to share in something fun with somebody and they don't want to share in the fun with you. That could be anything. It doesn't even have to just be him. And that's just something that I need to like self-soothe and be realistic about. And I'm okay with that. Um, but I think most people would say like, ah, bummer, you know, like that kind of sucks. I wish you were having fun with me right now, but that's just not who he is and that's okay. Yeah. The only reason I want us to like play with the question a little bit is because I feel like what you just described is a dynamic that comes up so much so with couples. Often. I know that I feel like is a lot of our like conditioning of what a partnership should be, should right. look like. I right. was the introvert in my relationship and it was always like, I don't like, it's not fun for me if my partner's not there. And I'm often was like, but why yeah. can you get into the why? Like, why is this less fun for you with someone who is like attached at your hip? Like what makes like, honestly, can you yeah. be in the inquiry of what makes that more fun? Because as someone who is single at this point, I got to tell you a lot of the work of like, what it is to be a single autonomous person is like, how do I really come into the like, um, the fullness of self without some of what I think we use, and I did for 11 and a half years, the crutch of a partnership on some of my inner work that was, why though is it hard for me not to do this thing myself, right? Why is it that I need someone or believe that I need someone to do this thing for me? And it's not that we're not relational beings and it's not that we don't need to connect with one another, but you're giving me an instance of like, I'm having a great time with people that are like my soul, family, like people that I love and it would just be more fun if he was here. But why, right? Like that's a story I'm telling myself. And I think it's it's one that we have the ability to challenge. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just think it's something we can be in the inquiry about. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think um, I, I think really it's just this idea of like wanting to share, wanting to share it with the person that you do love. Or we have fun when it's us. Why can't we have fun when it's not just us, right? And I, I think, I mean, look, this could be a whole other conversation about introvert, extrovert in relationship dynamics. But I think that's tough because... I, I can have fun when it's just us and I can have fun when there's more than just us. And sometimes with him, it's not that way, right? It's like he has fun when it's just us and not fun when it's not just us. And so that's hard. And, and, and I'm not saying he's doing this, but it does feel a little bit like the pressure gets put on the person who is the more outgoing person um, to pull back on their social needs in order to make sure that that person is taken care of. And listen, I know, I know this is wildly codependent in the way of relating to one another. And I've done a lot of work around this and I don't necessarily actually feel that way anymore, right? Like I have overcome a lot of that and I let him sit in his discomfort around like, I'm going out tonight. <laughs> like I'm going with my friends, I'm having fun. Like I'll be home late, don't wait up for me. Uh, and not feeling like I need to take care of him when he's like, well, you went out last week. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm a social person and I need that, you know? Um, anyway, I feel like I'm on a tangent now, but it, it, it's, I don't necessarily need the person to be with me to have fun. I think for me, it's more of, and I, and I think I've heard this kind of reflected sometimes by people. I just wish I could share it with them, you know? And so that's why I say and it's I more of a I just want bummer. us to keep going with the why, right? Yeah. Like that to me is the inquiry around, but why, right? Like, 
can I be in the space of like really being curious for myself? What makes it more fun when someone's there? It, or is it a story I tell myself based on all of my like lifetime of conditioning around like, no, things are more fun in two. Things are more fun when you have someone to share it with. Well, you do have other people to share it with. You're not alone. You're with another person or a couple people. I think here, here's what just came up in my mind. I, I don't think, and, and again, this is me having done a lot of work on a prior. I don't think it's that it's not fun when they're not there. I think that when it's somebody that you share your quote unquote life with, right? It, when you have fu shared fun experiences, um, it adds to the fodder of the relationship. So the day to day can be more like, oh my God, remember that time that that happened and ha ha ha. And you have this kind of banter and shared experience that sometimes when partners do things very separate a lot of the time, and I've seen this in couples too, right? When their lives become too separate, and listen, you're talking to an avoidant here who would be happy as a clam actually being alone 98% of the time, romantically, um, there's less fodder in that type of way. And it's not that it's not doable. It's not that it's not, you know, you can't work around it. But I have found, and I've experienced it too, that the, the, the shared moments of joy are also fuel for the relationship. Does that make sense? I just kind of disagree. And here's why. Because we were talking about this idea of like the romantic possessiveness that I experience. And this is a little bit. And this is where I think each of us sort of has to decide what feels like the type of partnership we want. Mm -hmm. But what I experience is that most of our partnerships get to the point where there is just so much enmeshment that that person becomes less of an other. I actually think as a society, what would be useful is for us to have more of a stance of like, I don't know the ins and outs of everything in your life because when I don't know you, that creates an otherness that creates like an erotic longing, um, a sense of like, I don't own you. You're not mine. Like we mm -hmm. were talking about like when there's all of a sudden like no desire for my partner, I think a big part of that is the attachment-based model of partnership our American culture has, which to me, I think we almost become like bros or roommates or I know everything. What I experience in couples is I know everything you're going to say before you say it, yeah. right? I think it's healthy for partners to have like, no, you do your thing with your people. I do more of my thing with my people more often so that I'm curious about you so that I don't know everything about you. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like there's got to be a middle ground between the two ways then because I don't think it can be all in that way like you're speaking to because Mm -hmm. On the other side of that extreme is when you get to be too separate, then you also become roommates because you're too separate because now your lives actually are not intertwined. Um, and so as people grow, inevitably we all grow, you, rather than growing in parallel, you start to grow apart, right? So I think there's got to be a middle ground between like the we need to be together all the time, right? Which clearly I'm not speaking to, but also or the we need to be doing our own things separately because I have also seen that dynamic play out in a very similar way where there is no Eros anymore because we're just, we don't even have a shared life anymore. Well, it's fear versus love, right? Like if I'm defending against like, if we don't sort of a mesh, then we're not going to like continue to have a connection. I think to me, and I was having this conversation with someone earlier, what I see has happened a lot in our culture is a lot of relationships that I feel like actually could go ahead and expire. Totally. We don't allow to expire out of the fear of being alone, mm -hmm. out of the fear of 
you know, that I, I don't know what is on the other side of this. And a lot of times I think we're attempting to make something and I've been there, um, make something that does not need to continue to like, and this is again, like some people believe in like what makes a successful marriage is longevity and people who've been married for 55 years, like, well done. I'm like, okay, congratulations on 55 years of misery. If that's been your, I agree with that. Your reality. But to me, I want aliveness. I want to like, both people are still invested in wanting to be here. And I don't want to do things based on what I'm afraid will happen. I want to do things based on like, what is the truth of what we're experiencing right now? And I just see so many couples that are like, oftentimes not really saying the thing because they're afraid like my partner can't tolerate hearing this. Well, that's codependency, guys, mm-hmm, right? Or mm-hmm. um, doing the things that they long to authentically do because I need to take care of my partner and their inability to feel the discomfort of whatever. And it's like, yeah, but then you're not fully living. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just feel like that to me is what so often ends up being the actual reality of what's happening in our partnership. So what would the middle ground look like then? interdependence yeah but break it down for people like what would that actually look like in practice like use the example of the kind of going out social not social being together in those kind of situations just because I know this comes up I've heard it a few times from clients use that as an example what would an interdependent way of existing in that dynamic look like you know, I always use the example of something that Shay, Shalina, Anna, who founded Rising Woman, she gave the example of like her and her partner, Ben. She's like, he's my best friend and I don't have ownership over him. And so what that looks like is if it's the weekend, I say to him, babe, what do you got going on for the weekend? And he'll say, oh, I'm, I'm going to go camping with the boys this weekend. And I'll be like, oh, amazing. I'm going to do some writing this weekend, right? It's more of a sacred friendship than it is like the ownership model of partnership. Now that will not work for everybody, right? A lot of people like more attachment-based um needs will sort of like even hear me say that sometimes and be like well also throw in kids that's not gonna right because they don't have kids so that's fair because it's like well we've got soccer on saturday and this on sunday and then it's like well you go do that i'm gonna go do this by myself obviously there's that component to it as well for sure and i think i was using in the example of what you were saying about going out Mm -hmm. right but i think it can be a little less like I, my friends are in town. Like, I'm so excited. Do you want to come? And no, you know, I'm not really feeling it. And what I feel like happens a lot of times with couples is there is coercion or there is a sense of irritation or abandonment or a story I'm telling myself about the partner not wanting to do this thing with me. And why? Right? Like, I feel like to me, interdependence is I am a whole and sovereign being. You are a whole and sovereign being. I don't look to you to fill the parts of me that I believe are missing. I allow you to be a whole soul in and of yourself. And then I get to be in relationship with that whole soul. Mm -hmm. But nobody's completing me here. That's not what's happening. We're not completing one another. I don't need you in order to function and breathe. No judgment. But but it's just a different like idea of what we are to one another, to be honest. So what if, what if that situation comes up and the person, you you know, you say, my people are coming into town. I'm so excited, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to come? And the person says yes. And then they come and then they're that, that kind of, um, emotional suck. Right. So I've experienced this even in past relationships, you know, it's like they say, yes, they go and then they're pouty or they're kind of like, you know, being weird or they're, I mean, whatever you could, you could kind of insert any adjective here. Um, you know, what does that look like? Then the conversation, I guess, looks like the person who did the inviting saying, like, please don't feel like you have to come. Just 
no, that looks like nothing. That looks like codependency tells you that is somehow my responsibility to be involved in. No, I get that. That's not what I'm saying. But then in order to, there has to be a, a, there has to be a recognition of it. There has to be a conversation around it. Um, And the reason why I say that is because as somebody who has still always struggled with expressing needs, communicating hurt feelings, acknowledging my what's going on for me, right? And actually verbalizing it to a partner or a friend. I would actually say it's very important for somebody like me to express that feeling to that other person um, and, and just simply say, hey, listen, you know, I'm riffing, but like, I asked you to come to this thing. Totally no pressure at all. You said you wanted to, you came. And then this is how I observed you in that situation and kind of how it made me feel, you know? Not saying it's necessarily like somebody else is making you feel a certain way, but like this is how it was for me. Um, Next time, please like don't feel like you have to come, right? Like I want to put it out there that this isn't something you have to do. I would rather you take care of you and be happy and me take care of me and be happy then you do something that you feel like you have to, and then that's what the dynamic looks like. I actually feel like that's an important conversation to have if we're using that like fake example. Yes, and I would have it in a different way because to me it's the differentiation between control and curiosity. Now, if I see my partner acting energetically some kind of way, it's making me feel something, right? I am telling myself the story about why, and I'm making it something about like they didn't want to be here, they shouldn't come next time, da-da-da-da. I'm all armored up in my like, this is what I need you not to do for me to control, me not having to feel this way. I am self-regulating through you. That's codependency, right? If I say to my partner when we get home, hey, babe, you know what? Like, I, when we were out tonight, it felt like your energy was a little bit different than it was before we left the house. So I'm in complete observation of like facts, mm-hmm. right? I'm not making a story as if it were the fact. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling the facts as I observe them. Your energy felt a little different than when we were, um, before we went out of the house, right? And I'm just, I guess the story I'm telling myself is that you didn't really want to be there. And I'm wondering if that's true. And if so, like, why? Or like, because I felt like you wanted to come and I'm just I, like, the minute I sort of say, like, you don't come next time, then we get in those combative spaces with our partner. And it's like, I have a need for you to comply with the way that I need you to behave when we're out or don't come again. And that to me is where we get in sort of like the, then my partner's defensive, then my partner feels controlled, then my partner feels attacked, right? Or that, um, what's the word that I love all the time? Like, they feel um, criticized, right? Whereas, I don't know, maybe I felt... I felt insecure. I felt um, small in the conversation we're having. I didn't have anything to add. I felt whatever. Like if I can be curious about what happened to my partner, that becomes an invitation for like, well, here's the way I experienced this that might have been different. Or here's what I do in situation. Like it's, we, we have an opportunity to connect, but a lot of times based on what's happening in my internal world, I shut down to my partner. I say fuck you to my partner. And then we're both in like a standoff is what I experience with couples. It's like, yeah, you can attempt to control their behavior or you can say, I wonder why they're behaving that way. Do you know what I mean? But again, enmeshment and relationship makes, oh, I know why they're behaving that way. This is what they always do. And that's normally what they would say. And it's like, but you don't. And the minute that you don't have curiosity about someone anymore, then I think that's where we get into that state where I'm not actually seeing you anymore. I'm just seeing you in that space of codependency and who I need you to be in order for me to be okay and be in relationship with you. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I think it's, I mean, this goes back to what you and I always talk about, how we're all codependent, right? And how 
it's the totally. air that we breathe and it's how we're raised and it's the it's all of our parental relationships and it's what we're taught love should look and feel like and so uh, you mm. know as somebody who again never learned to express needs or hurt feelings because it wasn't safe to do so right and I, and I say this with clients a lot when we're talking about needs or boundaries, like understand that when you start doing this work, meaning needs, boundaries, whatever, you know, expressing hurt feelings, it's not going to be pretty when you first start doing it. Because mm. this is like jumping into the deep end and expecting yourself to know how to swim when you've never been in water before or getting on a bicycle and thinking that you're not going to fall off and get some bloody knees. Like it's not going to be pretty. And here, yes. And here's me you know, and I could say I've been going to therapy since I was 25. Sure. But truly doing the practice of expressing needs and hurt feelings, I would say has only really started happening in the last maybe four or five years. And that's really only since I've, ta I've brought people into my world that I feel safe enough to practice that stuff with. And so again, there's going to be skin knees. Like even I'm not going to be perfect at it, and it's going to come across. I, I had a client one time that I was talking about with boundaries when you're the kind of person who never had any boundaries and it was always just like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's not a big deal. I'll just chew on the resentment for the rest of my life. You know, When you first start doing it, it's going to sound a lot like blam, 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 like punch you in the face, punch you in the face. And I remember her husband actually being the one to be like, whoa, like why so aggressive all of a sudden with the boundaries? Mm. And I had to explain to her, because you've never done this before. So most of us will swing to the other side of the spectrum when we're kind of starting out because we're like, oh, is this what a boundary sounds like, <laughs> right? Is it like a, a wall to the face? And it's like, well, no, maybe we back up a little bit and try it a little softer, you know? So even in the way that you just reflected back to me, the kind of example of how would you have that conversation, it's a reflection to me almost of like, oh, right. That's be that's partly because like, I don't know what that sounds like. Truly, truly do not. I've never heard it modeled to me before. I don't think I've ever actually said those words before, or at least maybe I did. And I never got a response that was like caring and curious in response. So I just shut it down, whatever. But it's, I think it's just to normalize for people that even when you're doing quote unquote, the work, like, don't expect it to be pretty all the time because it's not going to be. Yeah. And many of us grew up in family systems where it was not safe for right. us to have any emotions, right. right? Like, to even be in the conversation about something that came up for me and, you know, even the story maybe that I told myself about it because just the exploration of feelings was not safe, right? And so you're right. A lot of, like what is happening for many of us in those moments. And listen, it's a lot easier for us to say as we're sitting having this conversation than it is outside of the heat of the moment in a partnership, right? It's a lot easier to say these things. And a lot of times the story that I'm telling myself about why my partner is behaving the way they're behaving is based on some sort of historic experience I've had of someone not seeing about seeing me, not caring about me, um, not wanting to be around me, like all, you know, like that actually has nothing to do with what's happening with my partner. But if I don't, you know, we had um, Rainier Wild on our podcast a couple weeks ago, and he said something that I, he said three things, I need to go back and listen. But one of the things that I thought he said was so smart is like, if we could just offer our partner the benefit of the doubt so much more than we do, that they are not doing things maliciously, that they are not like attempting to push us away, if we just err on the side of 
they're loving or like that maybe if they're not showing up for us the way we would like them to, it's because they're scared or they're insecure. All these things that like open our hearts to them versus sort of shut our hearts down. It's just a completely different feeling, but we don't do that based on our wounds and the things that have hurt us in the past. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, I read something recently around, I'm, I'm going to totally butcher this, but basically the idea is like, if you were the kind of person who, when you were a kid, um, you know, you did have to constantly kind of fight to be seen or to be heard or to be just experienced as who you are, your natural go-to is going to be defensiveness. Your natural go-to is going to be to be like, well, fuck you, this is how I am because um, you just you spent a lifetime defending like getting ready with your sword and your shield to have to defend yourself or have to just be that way in order to even get some kind of sliver of being seen right and so so much of I think the defensiveness or the going into it on the attack like that um if not all of it comes from that original wounding right yeah absolutely you know I feel like the thing I'm so you know how do I say this? I find troubling about like, and there's so much that is beautiful about the increased awareness of mental health and all of the like psychotherapy accounts that are on Instagram and all of the things. And, and this is the big and, um, I find that sometimes what it has done, and we talk about this a lot, is it's sort of taken the personal responsibility part off the table for people, meaning this person's a narcissist, this person gaslit me, all of the things. I had this girlfriend telling me this story today or the other day that was so funny. She was talking about how she went out with another girlfriend and some guy was like sitting talking to them for like a while. And she was like, he was really cute and like feeling the vibe. And then he got up and he was like, oh, my friends are here. And one of the friends was his girlfriend. And she was like, live it. Like, so angry. Like, he led me on for all this time. And my friend was like, no, he didn't. He was sitting here, like, having a conversation. Maybe it was cute banter, whatever. But, like, she was, like, angry. Like, what a dick, He's like the male right? version and of me. Because that's my... how I engage when I'm out. And I'm sure there's been plenty of men that have been like, fuck this girl. She led me on. <laughs> But is that wrong? Like, maybe that's a little taste of aliveness. That's a little taste of flirtation that, like, all of us should, I would argue, have in a healthy life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And my friend was like, that's not him being a dick. And she was like, they got in a fight based on the fact that she wasn't validating her feelings, that, you know, her needs in friendship or for someone to see her. And she's like, so that means because you have the need for someone to see you, I have to blindly agree with everything you say. And I was like, this is just such an example of, I think, how we've sort of taken some of this like pop psychology jargon and run amok. And there's like no personal responsibility. There's no like looking inward at my blind spots and what am I missing here? What else could be true other than this person's a dick and my friend needs to agree with me? Like, what? That's not fair. You know? So funny. All I'm thinking about is like all of the flirtatious conversations I've had over the years when I was in partnership. (laughs) But that's just how I am, right? Like, that's just my personality. So. I don't know. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, I think the question that we were talking about and this sort of circles to something else a little bit, but you were talking about like, what do I do? Was the question my partner doesn't feel attracted to me anymore? What to do if my partner no longer finds me attractive? I mean, I think 
to me, this is, um, and what we were starting to talk about before we started recording was a lot of why I believe that we have become so enmeshed in our relationships. Things like, you know, some people would feel like you were inappropriate for flirting with other men outside of your relationship. I actually disagree. And I'll tell you, I work with couples that like, <laughs> when I say things like that. Oh, I know. I do too, because I disagree as well. <laughs> But I think that's aliveness, right? I think that I can be fantasy. I think that can be like some of the things that we are pretending that we shouldn't need as human animals that actually end up being really detrimental to our relationships because it's like, say I love... Che- You're shutting it all down. It's bullshit. Yeah. Like say I love cheeseburgers, right? Which like hilarious I might say. love cheeseburgers. <laughs> so let's say I love veggie burgers. <laughs> with vegan cheese um and I have a veggie burger all the time and that's all I ever get to have and that's like I love veggie burgers and all day every day all I have is a veggie burger at some point I'm gonna get sick of veggie burgers right now I'm not saying I need to go out and eat meat Ah, ah, because that's not in line with my ethics that's not in line with my morals and what I want to do But I might need some other flavors. I might need something other than a veggie burger. Now, in relationship, that doesn't mean like I necessarily, it could, depending on what you guys decide, doesn't mean I go out and taste all of the other food, but it means I have other relationships, other ways of like heightening my sensations of food and interest and aliveness and all of these things that give me this taste of life other than just my partnership. And I think a lot of times the reasons that people aren't attracted to one another anymore is because this veggie burger is all I've been having for a lifetime. And we've been conditioned to believe that should be enough. And it's just not. Also, and this was, John and I did a video about this and it was probably like the most watched video we did. And also like the most heated back and forth that sometimes not only are you going to find those tastes in different relationships. And like you said, depending on what you decide in your partnership, it like might not be actual sexual romantic relationships, you know, friendships or whatever that looks like. But also sometimes you might need to imagine what a burrito tastes like. You might need to imagine what French fries taste like. You might need to imagine what it would be like to bathe in a, a tub of macaroni and cheese, which I would actually do literally, <laughs> not figuratively. But and, and that's okay because sometimes actually imagining that macaroni and cheese helps that veggie burger taste good again. And this, I think, we could go into the whole thing about fantasy, right? And how important it is actually and normal and healthy to fantasize about other people sometimes. It actually can make the veggie burger taste good. And that's what people don't understand about it. It's not a personal attack on you, the veggie burger. It's actually sometimes helpful to the way the veggie burger tastes. Yeah. And it to me, it feels like some dormant or suppressed aspect of myself when I can't even allow for any part of that in my partner. Right? Like, totally. All of us are going to find other things attractive, exciting, titillating, other than just this person. You know, I think a lot of times what I recommend with couples is like, do some role playing, like, go to a hotel, pretend you're someone else, like, put on a costume or a wig or something. And, like, if you can, but like, even in your home, like, you know, give yourselves like little uh, personas and do some acting. It brings fun, but it also stimulates that part of the brain that needs that, um, what's the word, V? Like, like just dif- like just difference and excitement and, and a change in pattern and habit, right? Totally. Like that part of the brain needs to be stimulated. And I think there's something in even jealousy that is very <sighs> attachment around like I should be enough 
for one person. There should be nothing other, like in terms of needs that this person needs in terms of other relationships. Um, and I, I just feel like it's kind of childlike, to be honest. It is. It is childlike. I agree. And not to say like, you are childlike because of this. It's like, no, but can we be objective about our own childlike impulses and things that we have not had the opportunity to or chosen not to explore and investigate and evolve? And, you know, it, it's just the fact of the matter. It's the reality that a lot of us are too scared to or don't think we need to, and so we don't. Um, now, if you're on the receiving end of that and, you know, let's say – partner comes to you, like this specific question, partner comes to you and says, like, I'm not attracted to you anymore. Uh, you know, what would be, I guess, the thinking around what that person does? I mean, I, I don't know. I know for me, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, like, I think this goes back to you saying, like, sometimes relationships expire and we fight too hard to keep things together that maybe shouldn't be together. I'm not saying don't attempt to understand and try to maybe add that spice to, to your palate. Um, but you can't force somebody to be attracted to you if that's the specific example we're talking about. Um, and forcing it is also going to feel worse than just maybe yeah. allowing it. And that's a hard conversation. And I think that novelty was the word I couldn't find. Novelty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's a hard conversation because to me there is, and this is where Certainly relationships will go through periods of ebb and flow, um, difficult times where like, and even something can be happening with my spouse. And a lot of people would say, you know, you don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't just abandon ship when things get hard. And absolutely that's true. And obviously we are going to be the biggest advocates of like, get your butts in some marriage counseling if that's, you know, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. what's happening for the two of you. And I also think there is a point at which we have really normalized a fair amount of self-abandonment in certain situations. This could be an example of one of them where how long is it okay for me to stay in a space where someone is literally telling me they're not attracted to me? Now, listen, sometimes, and this is another hard conversation to have, um, things change in terms of like how much I'm showing up for myself, how much I am like, you know, the autonomous whole being that I was when my partner met me. Maybe I have lost some elements of a full self. I can certainly own. There were elements of that that I allowed to happen in my own marriage that it wasn't until like outside of the marriage that I was like, there were ways that like I lost sense of myself there for a while. Certainly after having a baby, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. was real, you know, and, and some of that was a little bit like just being in a dark place. And sometimes I think we can use our partner saying, I'm not attracted to you anymore as a way to sort of go inward and say, am I attracted to the person that I am? Like, do I feel good about who I mm-hmm. am right now? Um, yeah, and if that. not, that becomes some of my, my focus should be bringing, you know, my focus inward on like, how do I get attracted to the person that I am again? And like, sometimes I do say like, take the focus off of the partnership a little bit mm-hmm. and focus inward and say, I want to be someone that like, I'm proud to be. Not only so that someone else would feel attracted to me, but so that like when someone says they're not attracted to me, I'm like, who, this guy? You're not attracted to me? Are you crazy? Well, peace that brother, because I know I'm attracted. Like, you know what I'm saying. But I think sometimes that it becomes a deeper inquiry around like, where have I self-abandoned in this dynamic, you know? 
Right, and I think what we were saying a little while ago is many people, especially nowadays, use that as an opportunity to say, well, fuck this guy. Something's wrong with them. Mm. Like, they're the ones that are the bad guy versus being staying in that curious place and saying, like, can I go inward and, and ask those hard questions that you just posed, you know, around, am I attracted to me, right? And, and what would that look like? Um, yeah, I think that's really, that's really helpful um, for somebody. And I, I know that this is a common thing. This is a common thing that comes up. It's a common thing that I, I get brought as an individual therapist, but also as a couples therapist. You know, one person cheats, one person's not attracted to the other person. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully hopefully everything we just kind of circumambulated because we went, went around a lot of different things um, provides some kind of helpful or new ways of thinking or lines of questioning that, you know, you hadn't previously thought to ask. Yeah. I feel like we are the, <laughs> I mean, we love relationships because they're so complex, but I feel like we are, what's the word? Like, I don't know. I just th- feel like sometimes we see things a little bit differently than what we have been even like clinically trained to see in terms of totally. relationships. But it's like we say all the time, like we are really a codependent society we've been raised to be codependent and some of this is a lot of like how passionate the two of us feel about breaking out of some of these codependent paradigms you know yeah and it makes us kind of the outlier for sure in a lot of conversations and even in a lot of relationships it makes us the outlier you know so yeah well i appreciate Mm. you as usual i appreciate you my love yeah i love having these conversations and i hope that was helpful for all you yeah and um, we will, I was going to say see you. I always do that. We'll see you next we week. We will. We'll see you. <laughs> Hopefully you'll be with us next week. We'll see you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Mm-hmm.